Hello and welcome to Watershed's May podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. This month we are presenting a series of films under the rather uneasy title, Caring About Dying. Uneasy because the dying part is not a word we'd want to dwell on, although it is, along with tax, an absolute of the human condition, as author Daniel Defoe wisely pointed out. The films we are screening are Last Orders, the 2001 adaptation of Graham Swift's best-selling book about a group of friends who go on a booze-fuelled trip with the ashes of their recently deceased pal. Amour, Michael Haneke's moving portrait of a loving elderly couple, Anne and George, who have to deal with the stroke and deterioration of one of them. Still Alice, featuring the award-winning performance from Julianne Moore as a linguistics professor who's diagnosed with an aggressive form of Alzheimer's. These films are presented in partnership with the Fourth International Conference on Public Health and Palliative Care, which is taking place in Bristol this month. And I'm delighted to be joined by one of the organisers of the conference, Julian Abel. Welcome, Julian. Thank you. So just tell us a bit more uh, about the areas of the conference, the themes of the conference, and, and kind of why Bristol and why now? Uh, the, the conference has got the title of the Fourth International Conference of Public Health and Palliative Care, Community Resilience in Practice, which slips off the tongue really <laughs> easily. And uh, it's about how do communities react and support to the people in them who are suffering from death, dying and loss. That essentially what we've seen over the last 40 to 50 years is increasing professionalisation of care using palliative care services and hospices in particular. Mm. Uh, whilst they've really demonstrated what's the gold standard of care and how to look after people who are suffering from, from terminal illnesses, there's been a loss of community familiarity with uh, dealing with issues around death and dying. Is this because of the, well, you used the word professionalisation, has it become professionalised in a sense or slightly removed from ordinary people as it were? I think that's right. I mean, I think what's happened is that there's now an expectation that professional care will take over. Mm. And that's not just medical or uh, qualified nursing care, but it's actual hands-on care, um, dealing with uh, people who are at end of life and um, giving them you know, washing, dressing, cleaning, that kind of thing, which perhaps in the past might have been uh, a normal part of what families did. And with that loss of familiarity, then uh, there's been increasing institutionalization. And uh, over the last uh, six or seven years, there's been increasing emphasis on uh, how do we respect people's choices about where they want to die? And given that most people actually don't want to die in hospital, um, but would prefer to die at home, how do we support that? And there's only a limited amount that professional care can do. The other side of it, of course, is that if we think about it for ourselves, uh, we think, well, how would we like that to happen? And by and large, uh, what people say is, well, we'd like to be surrounded by family and friends in an environment where we feel loved and we're familiar with, mm -hmm. with the animals around and comfortable and, and clearly we don't want to be suffering distressing symptoms such as pain, nausea and vomiting and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but nevertheless we want to be in environments where uh, they're not scary, mm -hmm. um, institutions can be. So that there's been increasing interest really over the last 15 years 
about how do we how do we engage communities in uh, becoming familiar with and looking after people who are dying? How do we support the people who are left behind through mm. loss and bereavement? And uh, it's really an enormous issue because uh, if you think about it, you know, there are about 500,000 people who die a year in the UK. And surrounding them, you've got three or four close family members and you're looking at an issue of, of two million people being affected by death mm. and loss. And when it becomes professionalised and institutionalised, what happens is that, uh, that really all of the emotion, the difficult emotions that go with it remain buried. Mm. A typical example is you know, when we speak to people about what happens when they go to work and somebody says, oh, my father died, and then somebody in the company will say, yeah, I know, I knew that person's father had died. I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything. Mm. And, and actually, what we would like is to have that acknowledged. And then if we're going through a di difficult situation, there are all kinds of things where uh, we would want help. Help with simple domestic tasks. Help with sitting with somebody. Help with mm. having a break with a cup of tea and chatting over, over things with a friend, which may be related to, to being a carer or it may be related mm. to just being a normal person. But I guess people can feel uh, very daunted by you know, just the very words, you know, death and dying, it feels so, obviously it's so absolute. Uh, and, and so to sort of not address it, you know, you can see that there's the, the, the desire to, oh, I won't bother going there, just leave it and let it, you know, let it be. So, it, because it feels so big. That's right. Um, but you're, you're talking about just little small things, gestures that can be. That's it. And uh, so there's, two, there's two major themes to, um, what you might call public health approaches, which are really about community development. One is about engagement, which is talking about it. Mm. Um, and it's really good to remember that talking about sex doesn't make you pregnant. <laughs> and uh, the, other, the other theme is about the community capacity. It's about what can communities actually do to help out. Mm. And, uh, and sharing out a whole variety of different tasks amongst uh, as many people as possible makes each, ta each small task manageable, but put together, it's very problematic for one person who's trying to either go through the experience of having a life-limiting illness or caring for somebody who does. So the conference is really, uh, might be encapsulated in those two major themes. Mm. How do we engage communities with, with talking about, thinking about, responding to death and dying? And what can we do to support what, what I call naturally occurring supportive networks? What can we do to enhance them? What can we do to expand them? In, in the conference, you've got some international delegates, case studies. Can you just give us a flavour of well, some of that research I'm, that's been done? I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, what we're going to see at the conference. Uh, we've got uh, 28 different countries represented from all over the world. We've got delegates coming from, from every continent. And we're going to hear about examples of uh, filial duty in poor Chinese communities. We're going to hear about examples of how religious leaders respond to death and dying in Nigeria. We'll hear examples of uh, how dementia-friendly communities have grown in uh, Japan and whether the principles used there can be uh, um, transferred to end-of-life care. Uh, 
And I think in particular uh, we'll hear examples from people who are involved in the caring networks themselves. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's, I think, for professionals we find that just very inspiring. It's amazing. Actually, one of the questions I want to ask um, is, I mean, is, has this area evolved? Well, one, you know, you read about how the population's ageing um, in, in the UK. There's a, you know, there's a, 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 we're living longer. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, Alzheimer's has come into um, the fore and ageing diseases with ageing. Is this, is this part of what's been driving this um, area of palliative care? In part, what we're seeing is that length of life, lifespan's gone up over the last few decades. So what used to happen would be that people would retire at the age of 65 and quite soon afterwards they would die because maybe the average lifespan was 70, 72. Now what we're seeing is, is lifespans being around about 84, more or less, 79, 84. And uh, whilst there is a period between retirement and ill health uh, of good quality life, mm. that there, people are, particularly the very elderly, are living with, with multiple diseases. And it might be heart failure along with dementia, along with high blood pressure, along with respiratory disease, or might be kidney disease. So that, that what we see is people uh, having a significant amount of illness which, which limits what they're able to do and what they might consider as normal life. So there's a whole period of adjustment uh, of how do you make life meaningful and good for the time that remains. Mm. And, and that's really the biggest challenge. And, and that, that in increasing numbers, with increasing number of people using hospital services, has really stretched the ability of mm. professional services to cope. Uh, and, that's, and that's part of the driving force of actually talking to people about death and dying understanding what their wishes are and trying to respect them. Mm. So it's in part it is, and in part it's because as, so if you go back to the 1980s, uh, around about 30% of people would have died at home. And now that's gone down to 20%. So something has changed. Mm. Um, increasing professionalization, increasing expectation that professional services will do everything, increasing expectation that medicine will answer, answer our problems. Mm. But in fact, actually in terms of meaning and value, then there's something to be said for trying to regain a sense of community, mm. a, a sense of shared experience, an acknowledgement that death and dying actually is, is an experience that we're all gonna have to go through, whether it's for ourselves or whether it's for our loved ones. And, and that shared experience, that, that communal experience that we have, actually that makes an enormous difference to uh, the impact of it at the time that it's happening and afterwards as well. Mm. People might be um, quite surprised that you know, there's a season of films on with um, the conference. And I remember when you um, came to talk to us initially about this, it of course set off my uh, mind thinking because of Michael Haneke's Amour in particular had just been out and it's such a, such a powerful film. So I could see ways in which you know, the films that we've been screening here at Watershed sort of dealt with the subject matter seriously and, and, and quite uh, directly. But you, you've got a cultural programme that's been going alongside the festival. This was something that you wanted to do to sort of reach out a bit wider to the public. 
Well, given that the conference is about how communities respond, uh, community resilience, uh, when we were organising the conference, we thought that uh, it would be entirely in keeping with uh, the theme of the conference to actually give the opportunity for the people of Bristol, for them to say about what they're experiencing. And in particular, uh, that the um, we knew that Mayfest, which is a cultural events program that goes on during May, which is during the conference time, was happening. We thought that would make a great partnership and that, that we could, that for the community engagement bit, then it was a fantastic opportunity for the people of Bristol to respond, but also for the international delegates to come and see how the people of Bristol respond. So it's entirely in keeping with uh, how we're running the conference and the conference themes. And the other, the other aspect of it is that the community engagement bit is, well, let's make it easy, let's make it normal to talk about death and dying. And that artistic expression of that, whether it's in film, whether it's in literature, whether it's in theatre, doesn't matter. Whether it's familiarity of visiting cemeteries, that, that, whether it's in art galleries and museums, mm. that, that familiarity uh, helps enormously. And so that engagement, making it a normal conversation, that's something that we can do. And we just thought the conference was a great opportunity to do that. Well, and it's certainly, um, for me as a cinema curator, a really interesting way of presenting uh, films within this context. And there, there were many other films that we talked about that unfortunately due to the various boring thing of rights are not available. But the, the films that we've got, um, and I think quite timely because the, um, the recent success of Still Alice um, with the award-winning um, performance from Julianne Moore, it, it really has brought this um, issue, I guess, to a wider um, cinema-going public. Um, and in the film, she's a um, you know successful 50, I think she's just turned 50, linguistics professor who um, realises that she's beginning to lose her memory and things are beginning to go, gets tested and has, is diagnosed with a very aggressive early onset Alzheimer's and the film then is kind of partly told from her point of view of where you realise time's completely dislocated but also the, the impact that this has on, um, on her family uh, and just quite an extraordinary, as I say, um, vivid presentation of what is obviously a very uh, serious and painful condition. I mean, I, I think, you know, one in, uh, one in three people over the age of 65 uh, suffer from dementia to, to a greater or lesser degree. It's such a common problem. It's almost part of a normal uh, human experience. And that the, the question for all of these kinds of diseases is around how do we cope with the suffering and loss that goes with it at the same time as how do we make the most out of the time that's remaining? I think one of the, one of the themes of the conference is uh, reframing death and loss because it's a temptation to think that death and loss is only about misery and sadness. But quite often it's about people re-evaluating re their life and finding out what's really important. So that along with the, with the loss and sadness, along with the impact of all of that, that people actually can find increased meaning and increased value in life with what is at times 
joyful experiences. So this is a fantastic opportunity to look at all of that mm. and see what can be done. I think it's very, mm. very timely. And because it's so common, then, then it's great that we should bring it out in the open and talk about mm. it. And I should say that all these um, screenings will be introduced by either yourself or somebody from the conference, and then it'll be followed, they'll be followed by discussions so audiences can um, really pick up on, on some of the points and maybe bring their own experiences um, to bear. Michael Haneke's Amour, again, it's uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, one part of a couple uh, who are elderly, and so it's dealing with the kind of older couple. And it, what, what I um, thought was very uh, moving about that is the, the sense of their togetherness and the impact that it will have. And of course, the daughter is played by Isabel Hooper, who comes in and says, well, just get her to a hospice. She needs to go to a hospice now. You can't do it. You know, you can't take care of her. But you felt the... His, his pain and his grief, I thought it was really um, brilliantly portrayed. I mean, you know, behind it all is, is love and loving kindness, and as, as the title says, and, and that we care for people even when, they're, even when they're suffering from illness and even when they lose their personality. They're still precious to us. There's still meaning and value. And I th it's, it's so great to look at that in detail. I think one of the real strengths of cinema is that whilst there are particular themes within films which which you know in meaningful films is very helpful for exploring the uh, how people feel about it there are always things which touch people which are never expected mm. and I remember you were telling me last time about a particular example of this um, first of all seeing Amour when it was first shown at the Cannes Film Festival and um, just being profoundly moved by the story it was telling and then when we had it on here at Watershed, I would quite regularly go into the back of the auditorium just to see what the audience response was. Um, and everybody just stayed seated right until the very end of the film. The credits had gone up, the door was open, the lights, the cleaners were in. People just wanted to stay and just in that moment um, at the end of the film, stay with that moment. But also a, a sense that to share and discuss it as well, what they just um, experienced. Because as you say, I mean, people will either know or gone through or have be, be seeing it coming on the horizon. And so it, it's, an, it's the ability of art to open up that dialogue and reflect on this uh, subject matter. It's that thing for me about the film being the start of a conversation and something that we've been doing quite a lot. And so it, it feels quite natural in a way that, that film should um, be a vehicle to open up these kinds of difficult conversations, but um, nonetheless necessary, um, I, I think. And so finally, um, Last Orders, uh, which I haven't seen for years, I saw it when it was first released, it's the adaptation of um, Graham Swift's, um, I think he won the Booker Prize for it, and it's, it's about the remembrance of a life, which I thought was um, an interesting uh, reflection on it, in that it's the, the the group of friends are taking the ashes um, to to spread the ashes and of course visit the pub and where they, they were regulars at and it's through that that they remember the life of the person. There's tensions as well, but it's remembrance of the life. Um, it's a kind of celebratory, which I thought was a nice, also a, a sort of nice element um, being brought into the season. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that uh, of course. What happens, the common experience when people die 
is for the people who are left behind is that a few days after the funeral, then everyone disappears and, and loneliness is, the experience of loneliness is multiplied. Uh, in fact, that whole shared experience, it makes an enormous difference. And how do we say goodbye? How do we say goodbye? And saying goodbye with gusto is, uh, is, it's a great thing to do because what you're doing is you're celebrating the great things, remembering the difficult things because they also add to the whole acceptance of the human experience because we're all like that. And then being able to say goodbye with a sense of something having been completed and then the friendships that come from that, the supportive relationships. It's a great example of this, this supportive network. You know, the supportive network is doing its job. Mm. You get friends coming together, going to the pub, they're all human things, thinking about someone, talking about it, spreading the ashes. It's a great ceremony, not to be hidden away, but to be celebrated. Mm. Well, thanks very much, uh, Julian, for that, and good luck with the, the conference. And we'll see you at the screenings that are happening throughout May. If you want to find out more about the films and indeed the conference, then go to watershed.co.uk and search for Caring About Dying. That's all for this month.